0: Uh, If you have a Bible or Bible app, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 3. We're in a series called Storyline. We're looking at how God interacts with his people and works in their lives and and, in sometimes really subtle ways and in sometimes very vivid ways and very powerful ways. Uh, And today we're going to be talking a lot, as you may have guessed from the song we just sang about the name of the Lord and and all that goes with it. now before we do that, I'm told there's a a certain uh, football game being played today. And we have a lot of new people here at New Vintage who are not familiar with the single greatest Super Bowl prediction service that exists, and that is a source that's only here at NBC called The Oracle. <laughs> the Oracle uh, is, is known for his uncanny ability to predict Super Bowl outcomes. So uncanny, in fact, that we're about to celebrate 10 years of, of, of being NBC this coming year. And uh, all years but one, uh, the Oracle, who's better known as me, um, has picked the winner. And the only time that that did not happen was in the infamous Marshawn Lynch game where defying all explanation, they decided to throw the ball instead of run the ball. And he run that ball in the end zone, that would have been picked. The Oracle has been retired for a year. Uh, I I went into retirement after picking the winner, the score, and the point spread on the money. So at that point, I dropped the mic and walked away uh, (laughs) like, like I want to finish on top. Um, and, uh, but after a year of retirement, it's kind of like Michael Jordan going to play baseball. I'm back. And, uh, so I have a prediction for you today. And for those watching online, particularly who've been harassing me already, I woke up to text messages and Facebook DMs from people saying, Oh, you're going to make a prediction this year. So here it is. Vegas has chiefs by three. I'm going chiefs bigger than that. Chiefs by 13. All right. So here you go. Now those of you who like the chiefs, now those of you going, no, oh, Tom Brady, da, 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 da. yeah, well, I, per- I predicted when Brady lost a Bowl too. So. It has that vibe. It has that thing this year, and that's fine. Feel free to talk trash liberally uh, this afternoon. That's part of having fun. Now, back to more important matters at hand. Moses, the name above all names that he's given at the burning bush, so holy uh, that to this day you're not allowed to speak it. You're not supposed to say it out loud even when you're reading Scripture if you're Jewish. Now, we Christians, and in our society, we just throw his name around. OMG, hashtag. We just throw it out. We treat it commonly. We we treat it as though it were something trivial. But what we learn here is that when Moses is called to this ginormous task of going and encouraging an Egyptian pharaoh, the most powerful military leader in the world, with the most powerful nation in the world, to let hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Israelite slaves go after 400 years in captivity, the only basis on which he's called to do so that he's supposed to believe in is that God asked him to. And that if God asks him to, that's plenty. Because God being who he is, is enough. Now, in Exodus 1, we learn Moses is almost killed as a baby. Pharaoh decides that the Israelites are getting too numerous, and he's afraid of a slave revolt, essentially. And so, he says, hey, we're going to kill and wipe out all Hebrew boys. And so, Moses' mom, wanting to spare her child's life, takes him and puts him in a basket among the reeds of the Nile River. He's discovered by Pharaoh's daughter, and he's raised in Pharaoh's palace. One day, though, he's out. This is chapter 2. He sees a uh, an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave and his anger just wells up. And so he goes and he, he kills that uh, Egyptian. So from that point on, he has to go into relative obscurity. He goes away, he flees, ends up, uh, you know, kind of in a, a no-name town somewhere. He's just kind of out there doing his thing, whatever people do in those days. I don't know, play basketball or, or uh, kick rocks or whatever guys did back in those days. He's raising his family, he's doing this and that, but he spends a long time without much going on until one particular day that we read about in Exodus chapter 3. God pays him a visit. It was probably like most of his days, ordinary. But he goes around and this time he sees a bush that seems to be on fire, but it is not consumed. I like fire. Don't let that scare you too much. I don't mean it that way. I just mean Like my fireplace. My first thing I do in the morning, my morning ritual is I get up, I go right, I go, I go to the coffee pot, start the brew, as that's happening. I go over, I light the fireplace, and I sit down in my chair right next to the fire. And yet it has never spoken to me. (laughs) Not yet. I keep holding out hope. Maybe, maybe God will do that at some point. He looks, he goes, Look at that. The bush over there. It's on fire but it's not burning up. What should I do? So he does what most men do with fire. He approaches it. He wants to touch it or something. So he kind of goes over, and as soon as he does, all of a sudden, here comes the voice, take off your sandals. Probably basier than that. For where you're standing is holy ground. He hides his face because He knows that he's in the presence of God. So he's afraid he's going to die. Very common response of people. Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 has that response. When he finds out that he's in the presence of God, he's like, oh no, I'm done. I'm ruined. So Moses is afraid. He covers his face. He takes off his sandals. And then here's what happens. Exodus 3, 7 to 15. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. here's the tough part if you're reading like I am. The home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh, to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it's I who've sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God right here on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what's his name? What shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you were to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also says to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation generation. To generation, So, he gives him a name, a new name for the first time. We would pronounce it Yahweh. Here it is in Hebrew on the screen. Now, means I am, I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. But you get the point. He exists, and he's going to do whatever he wants to do. Okay? So, that's the divine name. Snobby scholarly types call this name the tetragrammaton. I just gave that on a final. Eighty-five percent of the students got it right. What is the tetragrammaton? You should know by now. I just gave it to you. It's that name right there. Now, Hebrew, you read right to left. See, from your angle, right to left. Now, you'll notice there are no vowels in here. The reason they did that was because well, hey, that's the way normal Hebrew is actually written was without vowels, but now in your Hebrew Bible, they still don't put vowels in it because they don't want people to read it and say it in vain. And you're taught when you read the Hebrew Bible that as you're reading across it, you're never to say that name out loud. Even I was taught that in a Christian divinity school, that when I read it, you say Adonai when you go across. You don't say Yahweh ever, and that's out of respect for the name. Now you'll notice that it's singled out in your English Bibles, most of the time. You see LORD in all caps, that's what it means. That's that name popping up in Hebrew. So so for instance, he says to him, uh, to Moses, he says, uh, uh, God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the LORD, okay, that LORD is in all caps, you'll notice, that's the same name, all right? Now why does this matter? Well, it ends up making its way into the Ten Commandments too. You should not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Well, clearly, uh, God is just touchy. Uh, Clearly, people are making a big deal out of nothing. I mean, we slander people all the time. What's the big deal? We, We say sacred things flippantly all the time. Not this name. This name is different. To say he is is to say a lot of important things back then. I, that's singular, okay? In the ancient Near East, they believed in a plurality of gods. You had a god of the sea, you had a guy of the rain, you had a god of the uh, fertility, a god of, uh, that was over crops and food and things like that. So to say I instead of we, not small back then. And to say that he is, that he will be who he will be, is to essentially say, I'm not like the other ones, and I don't share godness with them. See, in the ancient Near East, they thought everything was geographically located. So, if you're an Israelite, uh, your gods have no influence in Egypt. Like, once you hit the welcome to Egypt sign, like, that's it. Like, God, your God has no authority here. So, when he says that, he's not just saying, I've always existed. He's kind of saying that. He's also saying, I've always existed. It's only me and I will do whatever I please. So when he, Moses is nervous and he says, hey, well, what am I going to do? And Pharaoh says, no. He says, you tell him I am sent you, me. I will do what I please. I will be who I will be. And what if I go to the Israelites and they say, no. Tell them, I will be who I will be, sent you. The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the one that, You know, tells Abraham, go, and Abraham drops everything and goes. The one who destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, the same God who takes Isaac and rescues him from the altar there with his father Abraham, Jacob, we talked about him last week, the one who works even through our chicanery, our weaselness, can still work out his will through that. That God, the one who created the world who destroyed the earth by flood, all of those things, that God, I am, he's the one who is saying to you, Pharaoh, let them go. Well, but he's not going to know who you are. That's fine. He'll know soon. Just say it. Moses then comes up with a long list of excuses, a typical way that we go about handling the call of God if it's hard or, or scary. I mean, what a call. Think about this. After 400 years of his people crying out for deliverance from slavery, he is offered the chance to lead God's people out, and he's not excited about it. He's terrified of the assignment. So he comes up with a list of excuses. First one is Pharaoh won't listen. Second one is the people won't listen. Now, he's not wrong. They don't listen at first. But then his next one is going to be uh, that he doesn't speak very well. So, this is Exodus 4 10 to 12. It says, Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. So, surely God's going to send him to Toastmasters for a year, right? Or do something that will help him learn to be a better speaker. No, here's what he says. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, notice all caps. Is it not I, I am, that does that? Now, I will help you, and I will teach you what to say. So, now, God will give him a couple of signs. First thing he says is, I'll I'll take your brother, who's a lot better, more polished speaker than you are, and send him with you. Not because I need him, but because you need him. Because you're weak in faith. I will send Aaron with you. Hey, Moses. Moses. Look, I know you're also weak in faith, so I'm going to do a couple magic tricks for you to help you understand that I'm in business. Take your staff, throw it on the ground. So Moses does it. It turns into a snake. Pick it up again. So he picks it up, staff again. Moses had to have gone, whoa. <laughs> Next thing, he says, take your hand, put it inside your cloak, and take it out. He does. It's covered in leprosy. Put it back in. Puts it back in. Pulls it back out. Whew. Thought I had leprosy for a second. So he shows him that, not because God needs it, That's nothing compared to what God's about to do. Moses needs it. So because because God is patient, now he tries to tell him, listen, Moses, it's going to be okay because I am sent you. If I'm with you, no one can stand against you. If I am is with you, Pharaoh can't stop you. The Israelites grumbling can't stop you. The only thing that can stop you is me. Because what I close can't be open. What I open can't be closed. The one I have declared free is free and can't be taken back into slavery. And I have sent you, Moses, now to go deliver this love note to Pharaoh. Let my people go. Pharaoh's first response, why? Says who? I am. Who? Well, he'll find out but it doesn't go very uh, swimmingly at first. But the thing I want you to take away from this is his lack of giving Moses good excuses and good reasons, all he gives is his identity. All he responds with is I am. You may remember in the book of Job, uh, Job uh, is a guy who's referred to by God as blameless and he suffers immensely. And toward the end of the book, God just shows up and all he does is ask him two chapters of rhetorical questions. Who tells the calf when to give birth? Who tells the sun when to get up and go down? Who's the one that does this? Who's the one? And he never answers Job's questions about why. All he does is say, who are you? And who am I? Those are the only two questions that you need to be able to answer. And Job seems fine with it. Job seems to go, you know what? You're right. he says, I'm the one who's spoken carelessly. So he says, I put my hand over my mouth. Moses could have probably done that. Might have gone better for him. But I want us to talk about, after his calling, what that means for us today. The most essential ingredient is God's power and God's presence. It's the fact that he is and that he's with us. That's what makes him trustworthy. See, if I if somebody who I can't trust, somebody who doesn't have any power, doesn't have any jurisdiction over whatever it is that they're calling me to do, somebody that I can't really trust, somebody that's not able, then I have no reason to follow them. I couldn't do it. I couldn't be courageous, nor maybe should I. If they're not able to actually deliver on what they promise. But all he has to do is say his name. That name, which looks like four little squiggly lines to us, but that name that you're never to speak lightly. You're not even to read out loud. The one that, that when he even just says, I'm here, makes Moses cover his face, take off his sandals, because wherever he is is holy. He says, I'm with you. Tell Pharaoh, I am sent you. Tell the Israelites, I am sent you. And we trust him thus because he is who he is. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. It's what distinguishes, I would say, Christian leadership from other kinds. Christian leaders don't, aren't supposed to cower the way that others are because I am is with them. They're not supposed to be. Now, that doesn't mean they don't feel that way from time to time. But what it means is that there's a courage and a boldness that you see in people like Elijah who are willing to say, i tell you what, let's have a God contest. We'll put Baal here. We'll put Yahweh over here. Y'all go first. We'll see how this goes. And they back up. Baal says, uh, the Baal prophets go, they slash themselves, they do everything they can, and they can't do it because he doesn't exist, because he doesn't have the power. Elijah says one word, God torches a fully wet, totally drenched altar with fire from heaven and a demonstration of power. That's what's about to happen here. So, the name that we sung about, right, the name of God, I am who I am, I am, I will be who I will be, is a statement of who he is, his ability to do what he wants, the divine prerogative, if you will, to choose to do whatever he wants. He's not bound by anybody. And the fact that he exists, I am. It's not plural, it's one, one God. So, God keeps pointing Moses back to who he is through the entire dialogue. Hey, what if he doesn't listen? Tell him I am sent you. What if the Israelites don't listen? Tell him I am sent you. Well, but I'm not a good speaker. You know what? Who put that mouth in your face? I did. Who is it that gives people the ability to speak Moses? Me. He never really answers Moses' excuses other than with his own name. And I think that's important because if it's good enough for Moses at the burning bush, it's probably good enough for me and you to each and every reason that Moses can conjure up as to why he shouldn't be the one to respond to God's call. God responds with his identity. And it's because we trust him, because of what he's done over history, because of what he's done in our lives, we can trust him because he's able to deliver. I mean, what would he say to you this morning? I mean, God God calls us. There are a lot more bushes on fire around us than we think. A lot of us just aren't paying attention. We're not paying attention. You know what? Hey, I see that bush over there, actually, we say. And I'm going to listen as soon as soccer season's over. Okay? And as soon as that's over then I promise, okay, I mean, as soon as I get the promotion, my attention is yours. Does that honor the name? Does that honor the name of the Lord, the one who says, I am, I will be who I will be, the one who appears to Moses at the burning bush? See, it's not that, that God never calls people or never speaks to people. It's that we don't listen well. We are preoccupied. Our attention is fragmented, and ironically, we find things that are, <laughs> you know, I, re- I remember once we were, um, my, I was, uh, my, my middle daughter was up in Hollywood, and she was gave us a phone call in the middle of it, uh, and they were walking right in front of what used to be called Man's Chinese Theater, and we're sitting there, and she gives us this phone call, and we go, hey, what are you doing, da-da-da? oh, we're doing this and that and the other, whatever, the like, And and, and she said it was being interrupted because they were honoring some old guy. What old guy? His name's Clint something. It's like Clint Eastwood? I'm like, dude, some. You. Ew. No. Whose child are you? You know, Clint Eastwood. Clint is the man. You stop. Whatever you're doing. That's Clint Eastwood. I know, but I'm busy texting or shopping or whatever. No, not when Clint Eastwood is near. No, there'll be no shopping, no texting. Stop what you're doing or I'm taking your phone when you get home. Put it down. Clint is here. Some old guy. Right. I mean, I think that's the way that we come across to God sometimes. He's like, I've given, I've tried everything I can to get their attention. They won't listen. They just go, hey, I don't know. Some old guy is like, he's just some old guy. He's interrupting my flow. He's interrupted. my... And I understand that's important to other people. And hey, God bless him, you know. Who am I to judge? And as a result, though the whole stinking countryside of your life has been on fire, you don't see it. Because something else has got your attention. To walk in the presence of God means to be changed. And if you're really willing to do it, he will grab your attention in ways that you can't imagine and never let it go. See, the great lesson of the burning bush story isn't just that God would call a mere human to do a huge job. The great lesson of the burning bush is the power and the presence of God that you see signified in his name. The burning bush for Moses and for us, you might call Christian leadership or Christian calling 101. That the God we serve is far more powerful than we are and far more powerful than any president or king or, or sheik, or anybody. Everywhere he is, is holy. And since he's everywhere, that means everywhere is holy. We live in a sanctified space that is ablaze with the glory of God. And so we serve a God who is not only strong enough to stretch out his arm with the plague or destroy the earth by flood, we also follow a God with a heart big enough to send his son to die for us on the cross. So when we do that, that's I am, that's who I am is. So when you find yourself going down some path and going, okay, what do I do when I get here? What what do I do when I hit a dead end over here? I'm meeting resistance, what should I do? His answer is likely to be, I am. And that's supposed to you to mean, ah, yes, I remember now. Uh, The one who created the earth, destroyed the earth by flood, you know, brings life into being and snuffs it out. That one. He's the one that called me to this, and if he has called me to this, then no one ultimately can stand against me. They can resist. And that's why, like, when when Jesus comes in the New Testament and says that, that, you know, that that hell will not prevail against the church, that's why I'm never that worried about it. Like everybody else, I go, yeah, once he says it, And once I know that that's what God actually wants to see happen, there's nothing that can change that. I mean, if it can, then we all should be deathly worried about our salvation or a whole bunch of other things, because if Satan can do that, maybe he can take my eternity away, or he can do all these other things, right? But if, in fact, God actually is in control, he is who he is, he will be who he will be, he is, and he's the one that called me to that, then I don't need to be afraid. To all of us who would offer God a reason why we shouldn't obey, God continues to point us back to the power of who He is. Who is He? He's I Am. And the same God who created the world, destroyed the earth by flood, delivered people from slavery, would part the Red Sea shortly hereafter, redeems the world from its sin through the sacrificing of His own life. The death and the resurrection now lives in you and in me. That's why, sisters and brothers, Worship, prayer, Bible study, things like that are so important. Why? Because it draws us to the fire. It keeps our attention. It allows us to recall who it is that we're dealing with. And when I say the name of God, the sacredness of what I'm saying, that that name, when Jesus' name is said in the New Testament, I mean, the demons shudder. And yet, we often walk as though, I don't know, we're like on this horribly underdog team. It's like, oh, no, 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 no. When you're walking with God, for lack of a better illustration, you're always the favorite. You're always the favorite team. Because if you're actually walking with the Lord, you you really can't be defeated. You can't. So what he's about to do is an impossible task. You're going to go to the most powerful nation in the world with the most powerful ruler, the most powerful military in the world, and ask him to just kind of give away his millions of slaves who are running his empire after he just committed mass genocide in order to keep their numbers down. And he's just going to do that. Sure. Well, so we trust him because of who he is, and we follow that. But if God has called you, you have everything you need to accomplish it. If God has truly spoken, your job is not to necessarily even feel good about it. It, Your job is to obey, is to follow. Moses clearly goes with trepidation. And when he does, it's a disaster. And the the first chapters of his journey are in an absolute, uh, you know, complete catastrophe. Pharaoh turns on him, his own people turn on him, and he asks God, why did you even bother sending me? It's not off to a great start. But God has sent him, and so he, pers- he persists. If God has called you, you have everything you need to accomplish it. If God has truly spoken, sisters and brothers, your job is to obey. Let me, let me just, I'm a little worried we're going to get a bit of an ego amongst our teenagers if I keep showing as much appreciation as I am. But let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Teenagers have this reputation for being rebellious, right? They don't know how to respect authority. They don't know how to obey. Two weeks from now, February 21st, we're going to go back to the beach. We have 15 more teens that are going to get baptized. Yeah. So, I find myself going, yeah, I mean, come on, let, let's, let's clap for that. If we can't clap for that, what are you going to clap about? But I find myself going, wait a minute, wait, they're supposed to be rebellious. The adults, we adults, we're supposed to be those who are, you know, uh, you know organized, responsible, and so good at listening to... law and reason and everything. I want to know why teens, at least at NVC, seem to be better at obedience than their parents. I'm sorry, is that too soon? (laughs) I want to know how it is that young person after young person after young person rushes in, rushes toward the burning bush, which is awesome but I want to know, where are their parents? Or are they saying, hey, i tell you what, I love the fact that you are running toward the burning bush, and I am excited for you. And and as soon as soccer season is over, I'm going to be there too, trust me on this. And then one year turns into two, into three, into four, into five. So let me just take the teens and put them aside or lift them up as a bit of a role model here. And when you hear the call of God, responding to it is what you do. It's saying, I'm going to follow because I recognize that God has called me to this. And that's where it starts. It starts with the most basic call to give God your life. That's where it starts. It doesn't start with some dramatic experience where you're living a totally, you know, for most people, a totally pagan life or whatever, just going out there living in the world and then God knocks you off your horse. And the next thing you know, here I am dramatically. It's simply saying, I am willing to surrender myself I am inviting you to fill my life with burning bushes. And if you do, I will listen. And if you call me, I will go. That's the heart of the gospel. That's why Jesus says, leave it all and follow me. That's where it starts. Then the adventures come. But if you haven't done that yet, it's hard to try and experience the power and presence of God when you have rejected the most basic call that he's given you. It's like me saying, how come I can't do calculus when I won't even show up for class? When in the realm of the spirit, and I don't mean to be mean, sisters and brothers, I'm just trying to encourage you and exhort you and help you understand. Look, man, I think you would be shocked if you, if you took a step or two toward God, how much you would realize they're burning bushes everywhere, including, by the way, if you have a teenager in this group. That might be one. It might be God saying, you remember that kid you had that was whack? <laughs> look at him now. And what you're supposed to see is the power and presence of God, and instead you're going, man, I don't don't know into them. Whatever. And you just turn away from it. I'm imploring you. I'm begging you to at least consider. Take a step or two. Incline your ear. If you want to join them on the 21st, I'll be there freezing like everybody else in that water. It's about the only thing that will get me in ocean water this time of year. All right? What's holding you up? What is holding you up? All right. I got to move quickly here. We are who we are because he is who he is. Moses develops over time. He isn't enough. Again, it's a catastrophe. The first thing he does is go to Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, "No thanks. I'm not I'm not going to do that. But here is what I will do for you, Moses. I'm going to make the burden on the people heavier." So he takes it, says they were making bricks using straw, and Egypt used to pull up the big things of straw. They said, Now you got to go get your own straw. And by the way, you got to make more bricks. So the people are like, uh, Moses? Um, what's going on here? Who are you? Why are you causing us this pain? And so they turn on Moses and Aaron, and that leads Moses to basically say, Hey, why did you bother sending me here? And God just continues to say, in one way, shape, or form, I am. And I think part of this is, and and here's what I mean by by, uh, us being who we are because He is who He is. Faith forms the foundation. Moses continues to persist because of his faith that what God called him to do was authentic. It makes me sad when I see people use faith as an ingredient rather than a foundation. Here's what I mean. I have this stuff that I take on Sundays or anytime I actually need my mental faculties, which at my age, you gotta jumpstart the car every now and then, you know, it just doesn't, you know, I'm tired and and forget things. Uh, It's called ZipFizz. It comes in a little like test tube looking thing and it's basically just got like 8,000% of your daily B vitamin thing, right? It's amazing, yeah, I know. I had one before the nine. I should have taken one before the 11, apparently. But you take it and you go, all right, I'm adding that because I need this now, right? That's different than living your life in such a way that you have enough sleep, that you're living healthy and you're doing all those things, right? You're using it as a supplement, a multivitamin of sorts. And people do that. They'll say, instead of following that call on a daily basis, say, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. Wherever you lead me, I will go. I will do anything you want me to do. They wait until they feel weak and they feel like they need the presence of God. Then they come in for like a booster shot. The problem is that's not how it's supposed to be. Church church and, and, and the gospel and the calling of God is not really supposed to be fundamentally a vitamin supplement. It is supposed to be the foundation of everything in your life. How do I parent my kids? The way that God calls me to. How do I relate to my spouse? how God calls me to. How do I respond to discouragement? The way that I am calls me to. And why do I do that? Because I trust him. Why do you trust him? Because he always has been, he always will be, because he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the way through the Old Testament. He's the one that helped David slay Goliath. He's the one that gave his son to die for me on the cross, the one who empowered the early church to say things that they had no capacity to say with courage that they didn't have before. And I believe that that God is calling me. And so, therefore, I'm going, and I trust him, I'm going to follow him in every way I can. If he asks me or invites me to do anything, I'm there. And everything else is secondary. Everything else. But what about soccer season? Well, okay, then then embrace soccer season in a gospel-centered way. What is God calling you to do there? What he's not calling you to do is evaporate from ministry for six months. That I'm pretty sure of. What what, what is he asking you to do? Well, maybe maybe it means okay, who are you going to bring with you from soccer? Uh, How can you bear witness to the gospel on your soccer team, at the tournaments, or those other things? It causes you to ask questions like, "Is this taking on a life bigger, a space in my heart that's larger than it should?" So instead of me enjoying this as a good gift from God. It's becoming God. Asking those questions, that comes from the heart of a person who really, really cares. I mean, go back to the burning bush again. What if Moses had missed it because he was too busy? We're not just called by the fire. We walk by it. We're sustained by it. And you're going to need it. Discouragement is the kryptonite that you work against most of your, of your life when you're a Christian. You know, somebody, something's going to happen that's going to disillusion you. Like Moses, he comes back after this and he goes, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I just did what you asked me to do. It didn't work out. And God's response is essentially, I didn't just call you to the mountaintop. I called you to be a leader in the valley too, Moses. So get out there and get on with it. You don't follow Jesus just when you're at the top of the mountain, just when your life is going swimmingly. And there's a reason he says, if you want to follow me, pick up your cross daily and follow me, because sometimes that's what it's going to feel like. And so you do it knowing and trusting that because he is who he is, that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, and you can trust him with your life. I mean, look, I, 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 we're celebrating 10 years uh, at NBC this April. I know, man, amen. And I uh, have gotten very nostalgic as a result. A lot of memory lane stuff right now. And I keep thinking back to what we affectionately refer to as Black Summer. I was just commiserating on the rooftop between the services with, with some originals here. And I go, I go, do you remember that summer? I go, it was horrible. Horrible. I remember the offering came in, it was three hundred bucks. We're almost a year in. Three hundred dollars. We had four staff members. How do you how do you survive on three hundred bucks between four people in Southern California? No, let alone the expenses of running a church, right? How do we do this? How do we do this? Maybe 35 people. We had big stained glass behind the pulpit. So I'd like to think that it made me look like the glory of God was shining forth when I preached, but that wasn't really it. It was blinding to the point that when we started church, the few people that were there would be on one side of the room, dodging the light. When we did the meet and greet time, they would get up and everybody would be over here. And they would have moved because the sun was following them wherever they were going and they were trying to do it. But eventually it would catch up to them. And I was preaching to people who were doing this. I was preaching to people who had shades on. I had people get up and leave because they didn't want their retinas burned out of their head. (laughs) Um, I mean, it was miserable. Attitudes were bad. It was like 105 in there. No air conditioning in that room at the time. It's Escondido in the summer. It was brutally hot. I'm going, what in the world? But here's the thing. As you, if you believe that God has actually called you to something, then you continue to walk as he's going to have to do. Not just that, not just here, but once the plague thing is over, then it's the Red Sea. Once you get through the Red Sea, now it's the wilderness. The way you judge how well you're doing is by faithfulness, and you trust God with the results. Moses I guess we're still talking about him. I guess he did something right. Here we are, uh, you know, whatever, 4,000 years later or so. I guess he did okay. But you sit there and you go, man, what he really does is he sits there and amidst all the disillusionment and the why did you bring me here and all of that stuff, he persists. He persists. So uh, what... what? Uh, All right, we're going to move quick here. We can do what we can do because He is who He is. This is the last part. Apart from Him, we can do nothing with Him. We can do all things. Scripture here uh, is universal and unanimous. I'm going to read you a Greatest Hits album right here. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Luke 1.37, Nothing is impossible with God. Luke 18.27, He replied, What is impossible for mortals is possible with God. 2 Peter 1.3-4, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Thus he has given us through these things his precious and very great promises so that through them you may escape the corruption in the world because of lust and may become participants in the divine nature. Hebrews 12, 28, 29. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us give thanks by which we offer to God an acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Ephesians 3, 20, 21. Uh, Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly abundantly more than we can ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Without God, you can't do jack. With him, you can do anything he asks you to do. That's the beauty of the burning bush. And we can do it because he is who he is. We, uh, we now have been given the task of being, in one way, shape, or form, modern-day Moseses. Were those he's enlisted to help lead people out of slavery into freedom. From sin to life. Darkness to light. The question is, who says yes? Who has the attention span to say, tell me more, let me do this? And then, we as church members here, Taking the initiative to do that with those that God might bring our way. Yesterday, uh, I had a, uh, a difficult encounter at a tire store. Uh, my daughter Olivia got her license this week and, uh, and very quickly blew out a tire. So we had the car towed to a, an unnamed tire store. There we were. And uh, the guy was supposed to call me the night before and have me come pick it up. He forgot, so I forgot. So there I am on Saturday where everybody wants to be, in line at a tire store. I go up to the counter, I'm the only person in the room, five people behind the counter. I'm standing there, one guy's on the phone. Guy on this end clicking away on the computer. The three guys in the middle are talking to each other. <clears throat> Which you can't do anymore, I found out. Everybody thinks you're gonna kill them with COVID if you do that. <laughs> but you clear your throat, get some attention. And I say, we'll be right with you, sir. Okay. Oh, sir, thank you for your patience. Another guy says, be right with you. Oh, sir, thank you. Thank you. We'll be right with you. Thank you for your patience. Another guy comes from around the counter. He's leaving, and I kind of want to go, whoa, 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 where are you going? Get back behind the counter, somebody, oh, you know what, and he comes by face to face with me. He goes, you know, with a mask on. Sir, thank you for your patience. We'll be right with you. I'm going, I sit there for 10 minutes. In the front line, line starts building. One guy's on the phone, one guy's clicking the computer, and three guys talking to each other. Everybody's saying, they'll be right with me. Nobody's with me. <laughs> I wonder if people walk in here, and they go, and they hear that from us, right? It's like, it's like hey, we're glad you're here. We're so glad you're here. We want to encourage you to get involved. Great, I'm here. Hey, we want to encourage you to be involved. We want to encourage you to deepen your walk with Christ. Awesome, I'm here. Which is why we are glad that you want to deepen your walk with Christ. (laughs) And you just want to sit there and go, come on, man, there's an action orientation. Moses doesn't leave and just go off and do his thing. He goes and he does what God called him to do. I don't want to be the, your call is very important to us guy. I want to be the guy that says, if you're here and you want to meet the living God, we can help you find them. And so I'm not going anywhere until you come with me. Come with me. Come and see. Come check him out. We will, we will do everything we can. So whether it's responding to the first call, I want to go to the beach. I want to get baptized, give my life to Jesus in baptism. Great. I'm not going to go to, I'm not going to look at you and say, your call is very important to us. We'll get back to you. No, no, no. Okay, great. Here we go. We're going to sign you up. Here's what, here's what the process is going to look like. Here's what we're going to do. So I want to encourage every Christian in this room. Don't just hear what God calls you to do. Do it. Do it. Alright. I'm out of time. So, we'll pick it up next week. Storyline. Right now we're going to take the Lord's Supper. And as we do, you should have gotten a little bag uh, with a bread and a cup in it. We do this every week here at New Vintage Church. We take it. It's called communion. And today in particular I want to Focus on Jesus Christ, the one who lived out the obedient life perfectly, even to the point that he prays at the end of his life. He says, Father, if it be your will, may this cup pass from me, yet not my will but yours be done. Wherever you are, I want to encourage you today. Don't turn away from the burning bush. Listen to what God is saying. Listen to what God might be doing in your life and respond to it. If we can help you do it, my pledge to you today, you're not going to get a. Your call is very important to us. We will help you. Find me. Find Pastor Marcus, Pastor DJ, any of the other uh, folks here, volunteers at NBC. We would love to help you meet him. all right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Amen.